Well, how are you doing tonight? How many are you here tonight because the NFL is back on Sunday mornings? I see your hands. Yeah, I see. Yeah, like I saw some last week. It's like some new faces. I know what's going on here. That's great. Uh, I would be there too, except my Chargers lost last week, so I'm done for this season. Uh, they, they did exactly what they always do, uh, kind of tease me and then lose at the end. So uh, anyway, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I do want to invite you, boy, hope, hoping to be here next weekend. Next weekend is going to be an incredible service. We're, we're going to do something that uh, I don't know if we, we've never done before, but it might be the first time we've done in a long time, if ever, is that we're not only going to be in baptism next week, we're going to be doing communion together next week with baptism, and it's going to be incredible Kind of the stories of people coming to Jesus, I'll be doing a shorter teaching, uh, communion, baptism, it's like the church being the church, and it's just awesome time, so I hope you can be here. But today we're going to go into our time of teaching, and so if you're brand new, I want to welcome you, and inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. You'll definitely want to pull that out, and uh, if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here, to be pursuing you, and we just thank you for your life, death, and resurrection for us that makes all things new and that you've come and that you've said if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. There are something new. The life of the coming age is broken into time and space in our lives and you're energizing us, teaching us, uh, transforming us to be the people that we are created to be. And so today, God, as we talk about the role danger plays in our life and those times you call us into danger to meet us, to transform us, to use us. God, we pray that today would just be an incredible time with you where we hear your voice, we sense your presence, and you speak very specifically to us about those areas of our life you're calling us into danger. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in the last couple of months. It's called Scent, Piercing the Darkness. And for those of you who are brand new, um, this is actually the fourth mini-series in a much longer-running series called Sent. It's a, uh, a study of the New Testament book of Acts, which is one of the most important books in our Bible. And in this book, uh, Luke, our author, kind of lays out for us the story of the movement of Jesus from the time right after the resurrection of Jesus to the, to the rapid expansion of the early church, the movement of Jesus across the Roman Empire from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And uh, during this series, we watched as one of the key leaders of the movement, a man by the name of Paul, has uh, taken a couple trips into this area that surrounds the Aegean Sea. So uh, there on your maps, if you take them out, we won't be using them a lot today, but this will get us oriented. Um, you'll see the Aegean Sea there, and on the right side, uh, you've got the area of Turkey. We think of it as Turkey today. On the left side, Greece. But if you find the city of Ephesus, uh, it's about halfway up towards the middle, um, that this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we watched as the Apostle Paul uh, travels to Ephesus. And so uh, what we learned last uh, two weeks ago is that the city of Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It was either the third or fourth uh, largest city. Um, it was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It was famous for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons, it was famous for the worship of the goddess Artemis or uh, Diana. Now, when you think of the Greek gods or Roman gods, goddesses, that may not be the first, she may not be the first that comes to mind, but it was actually one of the most popular pagan cults of the ancient world. In fact, uh, in Ephesus, there was a building there that was one of the, one, the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was called the, uh, the Temple to Artemis. It was built about 300 years before Paul shows up on the scene. 
Um, and, and it's interesting how popular this cult was, um, that uh, there is a second century geographer, so we're in the first century, right? This is a second century geographer called Pausanias, and uh, in his commentary uh, on the book of Acts, uh, a scholar Ben Witherington III, don't you love that? Like if you're a scholar, like you want third in your name, I'm just saying. Um, but I, I love this. There in your notes, they put a quote. Look where this is from. I just, I just love this title. It's, uh, this is from the book, The Acts of the Apostles, a Socio-Rhetorical Commentary. Um, so it kind of tells you what you're going to get. But anyway, uh, this one quote is worth the price of admission. He says, Pausanias, who is this famous second century uh, geographer, he informs us that this cult, talking about the cult of Artemis, the worship of Artemis, uh, was the most widely followed in the ancient world. It was the most popular of all the pagan cults, um, and uh, it had some 33 worship sites from Spain to Syria in the empire. And so uh, of those 33 worship sites, the most famous was Ephesus, and the seventh wonder of the world. People would come from all over the world to Ephesus to honor, to worship Artemis or Diana, and that's going to play a huge part in our account today, all right? So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up. And we're going to turn there in your note sheets a section called Danger 101, Conflict in Ephesus. And we're going to pick it up um, at verse 23. Now, last time we were together, I was with you two weeks ago, we watched as the Apostle Paul came into Ephesus and he launches this ministry. You may remember, it was the high point of his entire ministry in Acts. He spent longer there than any other place by far, almost three years. You may remember that he did amazing miracles. Remember the handkerchiefs going to the sick, uh, the uh, uh, amazing exorcisms that were taking place. And as a result, the message of Jesus went out not only all through this huge city of Ephesus, but also uh, into the whole Roman province of Asia. So it was an amazingly effective time, but we're coming to the end of that three years. And towards the end of the three years, there is going to be a riot and the riot is going to be started by a man named Demetrius. Now, he was a tradesman. He worked with uh, silversmith craft. And uh, because of the worship of Artemis, people coming from all over the world, people want their Artemis souvenirs. They want their shrines. They want their little baby Artemises or whatever, you know, to worship. And so uh, the tradesman, as you can imagine, made big bucks off of the worship of Artemis. Well, Paul's coming in, and the message of Jesus is taking over the place that, that sales are going down. No one's buying little Artemises anymore. And so uh, he's really alarmed. They're going to lose their living, lose their trade. Their whole trade's going to come under, be kind of humiliated as a bad thing. Um, and so he's driven primarily from financial reasons, but uh, he's going also to attach religious things. Because if you're a politician, you're a businessman, you're trying to get people riled up, uh, let's always connect uh, your financial motives with religious motives, right? And if you can wrap those two together, you've got a winning combination. And so he's going to gather together his, uh, think of it like a trade union meeting uh, with all the kind of similar trades. And he's going to say, hey, this guy, Paul, he's been sharing the message of Jesus. He's saying that our gods, gods made with hands, aren't really gods. It's killing our business. But on top of that, it is going to bring dishonor to the great goddess, the protector of our city, Artemis. And this is going to strike a nerve, and a riot's going to break out. And I think the best way to imagine this, uh, because this would be hard to imagine like here in the States or Western world, but the best way to imagine this, 
Imagine um, uh, Saudi Arabia. Imagine someplace in the Middle East where a crowd is gathered and uh, Islam or Muhammad has been criticized. If you've ever seen something like that on the news. Uh, maybe if you've ever seen the breakout of a huge riot after a, a very big soccer game in South America. Okay? Picture that kind of emotion, that kind of violence. All right? And so we're going to see what happens. So about that time, verse 23, there arose a great disturbance, a riot, about the way. Remember, the early movement of Jesus was called the way. There's a silversmith named Demetrius, and he made silver shrines for Artemis, and he brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And so he called together, uh, along with all the workers, in related traits. We've got this meeting, and he says, you know, my friends, that we receive good income from this business. Um, You see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus, not just here, but practically the whole province of Asia. And he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. So this is a danger not only to to our trade, it will lose its good name, uh, but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, remember 33 worship sites uh, from Syria to to, uh, Spain, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So this is going to destroy the worship of Artemis. So when they heard this, they were furious. And this is where you need to picture a riot, like in the Middle East. They are furious. And they, said, and they started screaming this chant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they're just going to start chanting this over and over and get all worked up. And so pretty soon the whole city is in an uproar. And uh, the, the people are going to seize two of Paul's um, companions, his co-laborers, they're a man named Gaius and Aristarchus. And these guys are from a different province. They're from the province of Macedonia. They're from the cities, remember, of Thessalonica and Berea. So Paul had gone there, shared Jesus. They become Christians. They're traveling with him. They're, they're well-known associates of the apostle Paul. So they can't find Paul, so they grab two of his associates, and they're going to take him in to this huge theater. Now, if you go to, um, if you go to Ephesus today, Ephesus is probably the most impressive ruins of any ancient city I've been to, Israel or, uh, or, or over in biblical city. And, uh, and it's amazing. You go down the main street, a lot of buildings there. Um, but when you go to Ephesus, and Lynn and I were there last fall, there is this uh, huge amphitheater, what's actually called a theater, outdoor theater, stone theater. The bottom tiers are still standing. Now, we know at the time of the Apostle Paul, it seated 25,000 people. You know how the acoustics are in these places. You can stand at the top and the, or the bottom and, and, and reach to the top. You can hear. Um, and so uh, I want to show you a couple pictures. Now, this isn't the whole thing because it's broken down. But this is uh, what I want you to catch before I show you the picture. This is the exact location where the Apostle Paul was. Right? So here we go. So as you see on the hillside, you can see the broken down pillars. Of course, this would have been huge tile pillars with a roof on top and where plays or civic meetings could be held. And then if you can imagine that just going up the hill much, much farther, 25,000 people, the archaeologists tell us. And then you see the next picture a little closer up. Um, and so uh, this, was the, uh, this was the exact location where um, these, the crowds all gather together like in a civic civic uh, meeting, and they're going crazy. Now, here's the thing. Paul, that's good enough. You can take that out. Paul, he wants to go and talk. Are you serious? Like, they are chanting. They're ready to tear you apart. And he's like, 
are you kidding? 25,000 people? I can talk to them about Jesus? That's awesome. Uh, his friends are going, I don't think so. Uh, they hold him back. In fact, there are some high-level government officials in Ephesus. Uh, Luke actually uses a technical term for them. You won't see it in your text. But in the Greek, they're called the Asiarchs. The Asiarchs were um, high-level uh, high officials that ruled not only over Ephesus, but over the whole province of Asia, of which was the capital. Um, they had strong ties to Rome, and they're going to send a message to Paul saying, do not go in there. They're looking out for Paul. They're friends of Paul. Now, it's interesting because, just a quick sidebar here, one of the reasons we've talked about this throughout Acts, one of the reasons Luke wrote Acts was to be an apologetic for the message of Jesus. He's defending the accusations against the movement of Jesus on several different levels. One of them is political. One of the accusations was that the, uh, the movement of Jesus was anti-Rome, and it led to civ you know, civil disturbances. And it's, it's doing illegal things. So we've seen throughout Acts that Luke has made a big point of showing that time after time, when Paul comes before Roman officials, they say he's innocent. Uh, and so he's making a point. So today we're going to see these high-level government officials. They're actually friends of Paul protecting him. It's, again, one of the subtle sidebar things that Luke is doing. So anyway, uh, they seize, in verse 29, they seize Gaius and Aristarchus, uh, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater. We just saw the theater together. And Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. And even some of the officials of the province, that's Asiarchs in the Greek, uh, they're friends of Paul. They sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Now, there may have been multiple motives here. Obviously, they love Paul. They're friends of Paul. But this is what we know about the Roman Empire, that the Roman Empire, like different cities, would have different rights. It wasn't like all cities were treated the same. And Rome was, if you were a well-run city, a famous city, that you were often given a lot of freedom to run your city based on the kind of uh, political structure and so on that you wanted. And they were fine with that as long as you kept your city under control. If there were riots or public disturbances, they're going to come in and take over the administration because they'd see that as a threat to the empire. And so what we're going to see today is that this is an illegal assembly that's happening. This is a riot that's about to burst out of control, which would endanger the city's uh, standing before Rome. And so these Asiarchs very likely are like trying to do whatever they can to mitigate this so that they don't lose uh, any credibility with Rome. And that'll come up in, important later on as well. So anyway... Uh, uh, in verse 32, meanwhile, back at the riot, <laughs> the assembly was in confusion. I mean, half the people, they didn't even know what, you know how mobs are? It's like pretty soon everyone's coming together. No one's got Twitter. They don't have like, they can't post it. You know, like here's what's going on. They just know there's a riot. People are screaming, great as Artemis. And so half the people don't even know why they're there. So it's in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. But the Jews in the crowd, so some of them in the crowd are Jews. Now, they don't want the city of Ephesus to associate them with the way. 
uh, they're going to look very similar to a non-Jew, the way, and Judea is going to look very similar. They're both highly anti-idolatry. They're both highly only worship one God, right? So they're going to look similar, and it would appear that what's happening, we're not sure of this, but it would appear that what's happening is that the Jews are going to put forward a spokesman. His name is Alexander, and it would appear that what he's trying to do is calm the crowd and let them know that, hey, these people you hate, they're not us. We want to distance ourselves. But once the crowd realizes he's a Jew, they could care less. It's like, well, you're anti-idolatry too. You're anti-Artemis too. And so this is not going to work. And so the assembly was in confusion. They don't even know why they're there. So the Jews in the crowd, they pushed this man Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. And so he gets up, he motions for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Are you serious? Like 120 minutes of shouting? It's like, who does that except Raider fans, right? I mean, like, it's crazy. I'm like, right? So do you see what I'm saying? What I want you to catch is the intensity of emotion, the violence. Sounds like a Raider. No, it's okay. All right. uh, the violence, right? That this is a very dangerous situation that is about to spin out of control. And so fortunately, there's going to be a city leader. It's funny, um, in, in here they call him a city clerk, which sounds like he works for the DMV, right? He's actually a very high-level government official, is going to step up, and he's going to, he's going to say, listen, and they're going to, they're going to listen, and he's going to stop this. He's, he's got two basic arguments. First of all, his argument is, hey, listen, the worship of Artemis is not in danger. It's too big. This little movement called the way, it's going nowhere. <laughs> right. So you don't have to worry about defending Artemis. That's his first argument. His second argument is, hey, if we don't break this thing up, we're going to be in big trouble for having a legal riot. It could call down Rome upon us. And so, we need, and so with that, it's going to break up finally. So Anyway, so the, uh, in verse uh, 30, uh, 30, uh, 35, the city clerk, he quiets the crowd, and he said, fellow Ephesians, do, um, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus, it's the guardian of the temple, remember the seventh wonder of the world, of the great Artemis in her image which fell from heaven. Now, we don't know really what this is referring to. What we do know is in the ancient world, when meteorites would fall, it was often seen as a sign of the gods, and sometimes certain meteorites, they'd be, oh, well, that's Apollo, or that's this. Apparently, something like that had happened here, but we don't really know. And so he says, uh, therefore, since all these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. That's his first argument. He said, you've brought these men here. They, they've neither, and he's talking about Aristarchus and Gaius, They've neither robbed temples, they've not blasphemed our goddess, they've not done anything illegal. And if then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen, if they have a grievance against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, the top uh, Roman judges, and they can press charges. But if there's anything further you want to bring up, it has to be done in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what could be happened, what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to give an account, probably to Rome, for this commotion, since there's no reason for it. And so after this, he said this, he dismissed the assembly. So he kind of saves the day. He steps up, he speaks reason, crowd goes home. But this is actually the event that's going to cause Paul to leave Ephesus. Obviously, it's getting too hot. He's going to have to leave after three 
years. And so next week, we'll see where he leaves, where he goes next, what happens, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that next week. But for today, um, I, I want to talk about these three years in Ephesus. And uh, as I was studying this, what, what uh, stood out to me, which was really uh, kind, of, kind of surprising, is um, for the most part, if, if, like, if you only had Acts chapter 19, if that's all you had, and you, it's all you knew about these three years in Ephesus, they would actually seem quite tame. Like when you compare them to what has happened in Philippi, where he was beaten, thrown in prison, in stocks, where Thessalonica and Berea, where he had to escape out of town at night from the mobs, Corinth, where he's brought before the proconsul, uh, Lystra in his first, where he was stoned, remember that? Like when you compare what happens in Ephesus, it's like very tame. It seems like, wow, this is an interesting combination. He has his most effective ministry over three years, uh, and yet it's like the safest of all. But the reality is, as you begin to dig deeper, you find out that these three years in Ephesus were not only his most effective ministry, they were also three of the years that were most dangerous. And so today, what I want to do is step back, and I want to dig a little bit deeper and talk about what else we know about these three years, and then I want to use this as a launching point to talk about danger in our lives as followers of Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus when it comes to danger. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Danger 101. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Mm. <laughs> Entering the zone, I want to start with two big picture principles and then come back and ask one important question at the end. And so, so here's the first thing that stands out to me as I, I say this, is that there are many times in our life where God calls us into danger. That as a follower of Jesus, there are going to be many times in your life and my life, if we're listening and following, he's going to call us into danger. Now, I think that if we're honest, at least for many of us, this kind of surprises us. That often we tend to think uh, that if we follow Jesus, if we're listening to his spirit, we're living obedient lives, that he will protect us from danger as opposed to calling us into danger. But the reality, what we're going to see today is that in our lives, that if we're going to listen and follow the Holy Spirit, there's going to be many, many times where God calls us into danger. Well, there's danger in our marriage, danger in the workplace, danger in culture at large, danger in standing up for what's right and true and good, danger in sharing Jesus, danger relationally, danger in finances. There's going to be many times in our life, if we're listening and following God will call us into danger. And catch this, it is in the danger where he will meet us, where he will strengthen us, where he will transform us, and where he will use us. Now, once you stand back and you look at the Bible, this becomes rather obvious. And so I want you to think with me for just a second. I want you to think with me, Moses... What's his assignment? I want you to go down and talk to one of the most powerful rulers of the world 
who leads one of the superpowers of the world and tell him to let his entire workforce go. God says so. How did that work for Abraham Lincoln? Right? This is not an easy thing, right? This is a scary thing. Uh, think Joshua. Uh, jo- uh, Joshua, I've got a job for you. I would like to take this less than stellar, two to three million people, I would like you to go in and conquer via warfare a land that has uh, lots of armed foes and fortifying cities. Uh, David, I've got an idea. Why don't you take five stones and your slingshot and let's run towards the big guy with the sword. (laughs) Nehemiah, here's an idea. You have a high-level government cabinet position. You are right hand to the king. Perks and privileges. I have an idea. Why don't you leave all that, travel a thousand miles back, dangerous journey, go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem under constant threat of warfare from the surrounding enemies with your life on the line. Uh, Esther, I've got a plan for you. Why don't you go in and see the king of Persia, and, uh, and if he extends uh, his scepter towards you, because you don't have an invitation, why don't you go in uninvited, and go in, and if he extends his scepter, then you'll live. Uh, if not, well, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, hey, Peter, I've got an idea. We got five-foot swells in the middle of the night storm, a boat about to sink. We gotta, why don't you get out and come to me? Are, are you with me here? Like the Bible is full of this. I don't know where we get this idea if we follow Jesus, it's going to be safe. <laughs> like I don't know where that comes up with, but in the Bible, it's in the danger where the action is. Amen. It's in the danger God meets us. It's in the danger that he empowers us. It's in the danger he transforms us. And you see that in the Apostle Paul. Um, Like I said, if all we had was Acts chapter 19, the passage, the the three years in Ephesus seems really tame. I mean, three months in, he, he gets some resistance from the Jews in the synagogue, but they're not attacking him. He just goes to the school of Tyrannus and he rents out. Remember that we saw a couple weeks ago? Um, and now at the very end, there's this huge riot, but he's not personally in danger. I mean, he, he could have been in danger, but he's not personally in danger. I mean, compared to the other cities, it seems tame. But here's the thing. As you look closer, you find out that there is much more to the story than Luke tells us in chapter 19. In fact, even uh, in chapter 20, we're going to get some more insight. Uh, in chapter 20, next week we'll watch as the Apostle Paul leaves Ephesus and he's going to make a kind of a, a, a to and fro trip to Macedonia, Achaia, visiting the churches he'd started on his second missionary journey. He's going to return back about six months later to Ephesus, but he's in a hurry. He doesn't want to go back to Ephesus because he knows he's got so many friends. Uh, it's going to take a lot. So he, he sends for the leaders of the church at Ephesus, come and meet me at Miletus. We'll be looking at amazing passage in two weeks. And he's going to give kind of a farewell address, but as part of that farewell address, it's just so amazing uh, that this is what he says in Acts 20. There in your note sheet. He says, you know 
how I lived the whole time I was with you. There in Ephesus, the three years. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, remember Ephesus is the capital of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with what? Tears. Tears. Huh. I didn't read about any tears in chapter 19. Right? And he said, uh, although I was severely tested by the what? The plots of the Jews. Did we read anything about plots of the Jews? Nothing. But in the next chapter, we find out there's more that was going on, that there were multiple plots to apparently kill Paul, and it was a severe testing time. It's really hard. Now you say, well, how hard? Well, when Paul was in Ephesus those three years, he wrote at least two letters that we still have to the church of Corinth. So if you look at your map, you see Ephesus. Ephesus is on one side of the Aegean, and right across the Aegean there, you see Corinth, or then on the southern part of your map there, in the southern part of Greece, you see that? So he's going to write letters to the church of Corinth that he had started Uh, a couple years before. And in these two letters that we still have, he refers to what's going on in his time at Ephesus. And so the first reference there, you say these plots of the Jews, how hard were they? Well, in in the first reference in 2 Corinthians 1, look what Paul says. Now, he's writing 2 Corinthians right after he leaves Ephesus. Okay, so he's there for three years. He leaves, he writes 2 Corinthians on his way to visit the Corinthians. And he says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Okay, talking about Ephesus. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. It was so bad, he thought, this is it. This is it, this is my time. He said, uh, it was beyond our, uh, beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. The catch is, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely only on God, who what? Raises the dead. So you never learn that God can raise the dead until you're almost there. <laughs> you don't learn what God can do until you really need him to do it. Paul says, we're going through this time. These plots were so severe, I thought it was going down. I thought it was over. But God was working in the midst of it. He was taking me to a new level of understanding how to trust him that I'd never been before. And I learned how to tap into the resurrection power of Jesus in a new way. And God met me in a powerful way. Well, let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, written earlier from Ephesus. He's writing to the Corinthians about the resurrection. I won't go into the whole storyline, but this is what he says. He says to them, remember he's writing from Ephesus. He says, I die every day in Ephesus. How severe the plot? He says, like, like every day my life is on the line here. I die every day. He says, I mean that, brothers. I'm not kidding. He said, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Oh, you're fighting wild beasts? Like, what are we talking about? Was he actually thrown into like an arena there? Is it a metaphor for for people after him to kill him? That this is a metaphor? We don't know. 
obviously something very serious going on in Ephesus. Look, then the next one, this is my favorite. 1 Corinthians 16, remember, writing from Ephesus. He said, in the meantime, he's talking about his future travel plans, how he's planning to come to visit them. He says, in the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus, and then I love this, there is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. Now catch it, from, from, from Acts 19, we know what that wide open door was. Most effective ministry ever. Handkerchiefs on the sick, putting on exercise, uh, exorcisms taking place. The message of Jesus spreading not just through Ephesus, but the whole Roman province. There is a wide open door. He says, but there are many who oppose me. Now, as I read that, that is an interesting juxtaposition of concepts. Wide open door, many who oppose me. The reason I mention is I want you to think what we mean when we say God has opened a wide open door for me. Hey, I've been praying about this. God opened a wide open door. Well, I was praying about my marriage and this wide open door to get out. Man, we're going through this financially wide open door. We're praying, what decision? Make? Wide what we mean when there's wide open door, we mean it's easy. We mean it's obvious. We mean like, wow, you cannot miss it. And Paul says, there was a wide open door to the future. But there were many who opposed. It was dangerous. Isn't that interesting? So here's what I want to suggest. As you look at the whole Bible, as you look at the life of the Paul, what we see time and time again is that God is going to lead his people into wide open doors. Hey, this is an amazing opportunity. You can start a nation. But I need you to go down and talk to Pharaoh. There's a wide open door. We're going we're to cross over and have our own promised land. Oh, but there's, we're going to have to conquer it. Hey, wide open door. You're going to become famous, and this is going to set the stage for one day you becoming king of Israel. Oh, but there's that giant in the path. Hey, wide open door. We're going to rebuild the ancient city of Jerusalem. We're going to build wall up, oh, but it's going to be extremely dangerous. Hey, Esther, wide open door. God has raised you up for such a time as this. The whole uh, future of the Jewish nation is on your shoulder. It's a wide open door. Oh, but your life is on the line. Peter, they're going to be telling stories and singing songs about you, walking on water. They're going to write a song someday, call oceans, all about you. <laughs> hey, but you got to get out of the boat. You got to get out of the boat and you got to start walking up the breakers in the dark, by the way. Are you with me here? Wide open doors. Danger. And here's what I want to suggest. Your life, my life, if you want to walk in the future, God has for you. There are going to be times and God says there is a wide open door. 
and the door is marked danger. That leads to number two. Number two is that because that's the case, supernatural courage is a non-negotiable. For the follower of Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to experience the presence and power of God in your life, if you want to be transformed, if you want to make a difference, if you want to have impact, that supernatural courage is a non-negotiable. And of course, you see this all through the Bible. And this is why in the Bible, one of the most common commands or words of encouragement are the three little words, do not fear. You see them all, all the time. I mean, how many times... When God calls someone to walk into a wide open door, it's very dangerous. It's like almost just part of the routine. They tell them not to be afraid. Why? Because they are afraid. You know, often we think of courage as the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is acting in the face of fear. And in the Bible, when God presents his people with wide open doors, they're almost always afraid. I don't know if I can think of an example off the top. There's probably a couple, maybe Daniel. Maybe Daniel kind of feels like that. But more often than not, when God calls his people, you think of Gideon? Like, not me, God? Like, why me? I, I'm the least of my family. My clan is the least, like, not me. Right? That's the norm. And so what we find is if we're going to move into the future God has for us, courage is a non-negotiable. But it's not a courage that flows from ourself. It's a courage that flows from our connection with God and his word in our life. There in your note sheet, a great example Um, Joshua 1 has meant so much to me over the years. I cannot even tell you how many times in my life, it'd probably be in the hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating, where God has taken me to Joshua 1 and said, do not be afraid. I've called you here. I know this is hard. I know you're afraid, but I'm with you. I cannot even... I can't even tell you. You know, about a year and a half ago, I felt like God was calling me on a really long fast. And during that fast, there were two passages of Scripture that God took me back to over and over. Like what he said, like for for the next phase of this ministry, these are for you. And one was Joshua 1. And what struck me as I studied that time and time again, I just felt, God, you know how when you're reading the words sometimes and the words just coming off the page, it's like it's to you, right? And day after day, as that came back, the word over and over again was this word of courage. In fact, there in your note sheet, I put four verses from that passage, but I just cut out certain parts. So you emphasize it. Look what what God says. He says, 
He says to Joshua, this is when he first comes and tells him to take the people in the promised land. Remember, Moses has died. Uh, he inherits the leadership. He's got a couple million people that have been less than stellar forever. And it's his job to take them into the promised land, the one thing that Moses, the great leader, couldn't do. And uh, you get a sense for his emotional stake, state. God says to him, be strong and courageous. And in the next verse, be strong and very courageous. And then two verses later, be strong and courageous. Three times in four verses, God says, be strong and courageous. What does that tell you? He's scared to death. Like God doesn't waste words. He isn't going to say, hey, be strong and courageous. Oh, what are you talking about? I got this. God only says be strong and courageous three times when you need it three times. And then he says, look what he says. He says, do not be what? That tells you where he's at. Do not be terrified. Do not be what? That's where he's at. Why? Because the Lord, Yahweh, your God will be with you wherever you go. That's why. You can have courage, not because somehow it's all going to work out, or somehow I'm going to be positive, or somehow I'm just going to put my best foot forward, but we can be courageous because God says, if I call you, I go with you. And if I go with you, I will meet you in the storm. If I go with you, I will empower you. If I go with you, I will transform you. If I go with you, I will use you to great impact. And so we see this in Paul all the time. Now today, it's interesting, we see this natural courage he often had, right? Like, hey, let me go in there. 25,000, where they tear me apart? Sounds great. And you're like, what? But we know from his letters, it was not always like that. Some of you were here a few weeks ago when we talked about hard times 101. We looked at a passage in 1 Corinthians 2 where he talks about when he first came to Corinth, his emotional state. Do you remember what he said? That He said, when I came to you, I came with weakness and fear and much trembling. Remember that? Do you remember that day? We also looked at his letter to the Thessalonians. Remember he went to Philippi. He was beaten, imprisoned, put in stocks, then released, goes next to Thessalonica. You're going, wow, bravery. After that to go, he's in Thessalonica a short time until his life is in danger, has to leave. A few months later, he writes back to them. We call it 1 Thessalonians. In that letter, he reflects back on his emotional state when he had just got released from Philippi and come to Thessalonica. And there's what he says. He said, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, Thessalonians, our visit to you when we first came it was not a failure. I mean, God moved. You know how badly we've been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet, catch this, our God gave us the what? Courage. The courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Open door, opposition, and courage. 
And this is what I want you to catch, is that if we're going to move in the future that God has for us, your life, my life, your marriage, finances, ministry, sharing Christ, your relationship with God, your workplace, whatever it is, if we're going to move in, that God is often going to call us to take steps into danger. And when he does, he promises to meet us, and he'll give us courage. But here's what I want you to catch. That courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. It doesn't mean when you have to go in and have that conversation with your boss that you know the Lord is telling you to have, it doesn't mean there's going to be a perfect peace and you have no concerns. It means you know God is calling you to have it. When God is calling you to have that hard conversation with your wife, when God's calling you to take that step with your finances, when God is calling you to confess that sin, and to stop hiding, that when God is calling you, it doesn't mean that you're going to be like at perfect peace and have no concern. What it means is that God will give you the courage to dare to obey even though it's hard. You know, World War I, we had a very famous pilot in the United States. He was the ace, the top pilot of all of our pilots. His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. He would log over 300 air, uh, uh, combat hours in World War I. He would have over 130 aerial encounters with the enemy. He would bring down 26 enemy planes and survive it all. He was incredibly famous. He was a hero. One time a reporter asked him, where do you get your courage from? And look what he says there in your note sheet. He said, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. Hey, if you wait until you don't have any fear before you listen and follow, it will never happen. You will never be transformed. You will never be used. You will never grow. We have to face our fears with the supernatural courage that God is with us he is calling us. He will meet us and transform us as we step out. So it leads to a question. There in your note sheet, danger 101, taking the step. Here's my question. Is there a wide open door that you need to walk through? Now you might say, honestly, right now I can't think of it. That's fine. Save this for the next time you need it. What I'm asking you is to go before the Lord and say, is there a wide open door, by definition, a door of danger that God is calling you to go through? Uh, For some of us here today, you may be kind of new at Rocky Peak or maybe even coming a while, but for you, uh, the danger is giving your life to Christ. You've been coming here, you love the worship, the teaching makes sense, it's practical, it's making sense in your life, you're connecting, but you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ. And it is scary, and you're thinking of the cost, and you're not sure what's going to happen, and it's scary, but God is calling you. And so God is calling wide open door to your future. But there are many adversaries. 
uh, for some of us here, there is a step of obedience we've been putting off for a long time. For some of us here, we're in a relationship that we should not be in, and we have known it, but we have been afraid of what life will be like if we let it go. For others of us, we've been burned in relationship, and God is calling us back into relationship, and we are afraid to be proactive and move towards relationship. For some of us, we're in broken relationships, and there is conflict in our relationship, and God has been telling us to go to that person and to have an honest conversation and approach this issue and try to get it resolved. Or there's a person in your life that the Holy Spirit's been talking about, about offering them forgiveness, and you don't want to do it, and it feels too risky. They're going to get away with it. If I don't hold them accountable, no, nobody will. For some of you, the the Lord has been talking to you about your finances. He's been talking about the way you approach your finances. He's been talking to you maybe about your debt. And that you have to roll up your sleeves and get some help. And you are so afraid. You are so behind. You don't even know how bad it is. And it terrifies you to find out. And so you continue to get further and further in debt when the Holy Spirit's calling you to deal with that. For some of you, you're, you're in a life group and you've been in life groups before and you know there are times when God is asking you to take the risk and open up and share, but you're so afraid of rejection that you continue just to go, but not really to participate. And even when the Lord is calling you. For some of you, your marriage is on the rocks and you know it but you've been pretending it isn't because you don't know how to fix it. And as long as you pretend it's not that bad, you don't have to deal with it. We could go on and on and on. But can I tell you something? The most important steps you will ever take in following Jesus are almost always going to be through the door that's wide open to your future but it's the door of danger. It's going to feel scary. It's going to take a risk. That's what faith is all about. But if we don't walk through those wide open doors, we will never be transformed. We will never experience the power of God. We'll never know his presence. We will never be changed. We'll never be used for the purposes that he's created. What would have happened if Moses stayed by the burning bush? What would have happened had Joshua said, get somebody else? What would have happened if Esther said, no, today is my spa day? <laughs> what would have happened if Peter said, change my mind? What would have happened if David said, you know, I, I think I'm just going to leave the care package and go home. You see? It's like nothing happens. So I, I have a question for you. Is that this is not just for today. I want you to take this with you for the rest of your life. The path to growth almost always leads to the door, wide open door of danger. And I want you to remember that and take that. But for today, the question is, is there a step 
today that you need to take. Let's pray. Lord, wow, this is uh, it's scary stuff. We, none of us like danger. Me, uh, first in line. I mean, we want to play it safe. We want security. We want to we hedge our bets. We want to know what's going to happen before we take action. We don't want to put ourselves in harm's way. And yet, God, when you're calling us, it is a path to life, and it's the only path. And so today, God, I pray you would help us to listen, to follow. I pray you'd speak courage and that we would get out of the boat and we would follow. And God, we pray today as we worship you, as we bring our offerings, that you'd meet us now. And if there is an area in our life we need to take a step, you'd make that crystal clear and that we would surrender to you here and now and make the decision that yes, we will take that step and move through the wide open door and into our future, the door of danger. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Champion of heaven, you made a way. And he has made a way. He faced his challenge. He went to the cross. He trusted in his Father. And he has made a way now for the courage of Christ Jesus to come within us. That we are not alone. He is with us. The same God that stood with Paul when he was weak and trembling. The same God that gave him the power to dare to go on in spite of strong opposition. The God that raised him from the dead as he thought he was going down for the last time and taught him to trust in the one who raises the dead. That same God is in you. That same God is in me. The God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and he calls us out into the water. You are not alone. I don't care what wide open door of danger he calls you into right now, whether it's in your marriage, it's in your workplace, it's in an area of addiction, it is an area of sin you need to let go, it's a relationship that needs to be restored, it's something you need to trust him in your finances, it's something with your children. I don't know what your wide open door is, but I know you do not go alone. I know that he is with you and he is in you. And I know that if he has called you into a wide open door, that like Joshua, he will go with you. So his word to you is be strong and courageous. No, be very strong and courageous. No, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Amen? Amen. And so, so Father, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we stand not in our own strength or our own bravado. We stand in the strength of your Son and his Spirit who lives to be the power of God within us. God, we pray you'd give us courage to go out from this service and to do what you've shown us to do, that our knees may be trembling, that with your courage, we will take that step and we will face that wide open door of danger and we will walk through into the future you have for us. 
we affirm today that courage is not the absence of fear, that it is acting with the power of God, daring to go forward in the face of fear. And so God, we pray you'd empower us to do that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Hey, I am, uh, I'm so glad, thankful you could be here with us today. Thank you for coming and making this what it is. It's the people of God and the presence of God. And if you need prayer today, maybe you're facing something in your life, you need some courage or anything else, just over by the far walls, prayer team would love to be with you and uh, just share, hear that, join you in prayer, help encourage you. And uh, the next week, amazing. Paul's going to leave Ephesus. We're going to see an amazing story of the life of the early church, and we're going to live it out here. We're going to live it in baptisms. We're going to live it in communion. We're going to live it in worship, and it's going to be an incredible service. Until then, God bless you. I love you, and may the courage of Christ be your strength this week. Amen. <laughs>